Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Bowman, the host of Side Door, a podcast with candid conversations with world-class entrepreneurs. One of my favorite documentaries is by PBS for its American Masters series. The piece profiled famed entrepreneur, music producer, and movie executive David Geffen. While the casual viewer might not know his name, you're surely familiar with his clients, like Bob Dylan, Cher, Nirvana, and Guns N' Roses. Or you may be familiar with his movie studio that he co-founded, DreamWorks, the studio behind hits like Shrek, Gladiator, and Saving Private Ryan. The name of this documentary is Inventing David Geffen, and its core story is about how David Geffen reinvented himself at several stages of his career. I couldn't help but think of this documentary as I was talking to today's guest, Ilya Kravtsov, co-founder and CEO of Pouch Nation. Pouch Nation is an event-based crowd management wearables company. They offer event goers bands that track emission, facilitates contactless payments, and offer other analytics to event organizers. As you might be thinking, this business must have been hit hard by COVID-19, which it was. But COVID-19 didn't mean the end of Pouch Nation. Ilya and his team did a magnificent job of reinventing themselves. In a relatively short amount of time, they pivoted their technology so it could read temperatures and assist in contact tracing, perfect for a post-COVID world. Today, we talk about Pouch Nation's core business and technology, how they grew their company right up until COVID-19, and then how they quickly adapted to the realities of COVID. Hi, Ilya. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So it's, it's raining here, so thanks for t- making the time. Uh, I wanted to start by asking you a little about your background, right? So you are the, you're the founder and CEO of Pouch Nation. Uh, can you first tell people quickly what is Pouch Nation and then how did you get here to Jakarta and uh, you know, launch Pouch Nation? For sure. Uh, well, Pouch Nation is a, is a company that specializes in uh, crowd control, uh, contactless payments and IoT technology. Um, I founded the company roughly eight years ago. Um, so the journey was, uh, was pretty interesting. So personally, I graduated in Italy and then started my career in uh, management consulting. So I was advising many telco operators uh, across the globe, mainly in emerging markets. Uh, so I spent a few years uh, out of Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, then uh, opened uh, my consulting company, opened an office in Singapore. Um, so I moved to Singapore, spent uh, a couple of years there. Uh, again, tra- tra- traveling across Southeast Asia, uh, advising telco operators. And then in 2012, I uh, started the company. It was very different back in the days, uh, very early days for Southeast Asia, very early days for Indonesia. Uh, so I'm one of probably the first entrepreneurs who came from abroad to Indonesia to start a company. Um, that time we were focusing uh, on uh, loyalty, uh, mobile loyalty, so very different. Um, so the company, I would say, has evolved a lot since then. Uh, for the past five years, we've been focusing more on um, you know, event management, large-scale mass participation events, payments. Um, but at the first, uh, back in 2012, was more uh, mobile loyalty, retail, FMB. Uh, so it's a it's a you know long journey with lots of turns. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. So just quickly talking about uh, the loyalty aspect of it. 
uh, right now you're, you're focused, there's a lot of focus on wearables. Was wearables a part of your original idea when you're talking about uh, loyalty or did um, you like not, into that? Not at all. Uh, we, we, we had a fundamental belief at that time, 2012, that QR code is going to be the main technology that's going to be used for uh, loyalty slash payments. And our strategy at that time was to start with uh, using QR codes for loyalty for um, FMB and then to add later on uh, the payments aspect. So I think the division was kind of uh, you know, your e-wallets that you see nowadays, right? So it was, but it was only eight years ago. So majority of the users at that time were on BlackBerry. I think in Indonesia, 70% of the market was on BlackBerry. Uh, so the variable was not yet part of the equation. And then it evolved into adding a wearable element uh, just because, you know, developing apps on BlackBerry and scanning QR codes on BlackBerry was a nightmare uh, because cameras were not good. Uh, there was always lack of connectivity. So we were lo looking at alternative solutions who can, uh, which can make the payment process easier. And that's where we started looking at RFID technology. But at the beginning, the vision was just QR codes. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you were spot on with QR codes and payments. Uh, and so too early, too early. <laughs> yeah. The, the, what do they say that if, uh, you know, timing is, is everything when it comes to startups? Very true. Very true. And this is also a lesson that I learned, right? So um, at the end of the day, you can have the best idea and you can be a visionary, but if you do it too early, then uh, people around you will not understand it. Uh, and will not fund you and uh, you, you will fail miserably, uh, even though the, the idea and uh, everything is, is um, you know, is great, right? So I think that was a little bit what happened to us. It was just too early. So the market was not yet, or not yet ready. That's why the product market fit is extremely important in whatever you do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I worked with uh, an AR company in 2010. So similar, similar outcome, just a little bit too early. So you... You shifted to <clears throat> wearables out of out of need. Essentially, it sounds like. Um, so, where did the like where did the event management aspect come in? Right, where, when you shifted to the wearables and the payments, uh, did you have events in mind, or or did you then start to look for uh, how this this technology could be applicable in real life? Uh, the, the pivot to, uh, to events was quite interesting. So what, what we were doing when we had loyalty, so at that time, uh, we had about 800 merchants on our loyalty prog uh, platform across uh, Indonesia and Philippines. Uh, so we were having no issues in, in getting um, merchants to subscribe to our uh, platform. But where we were struggling at that time is to get the final users to download the app and use it constantly. Right. So similar as of now, you know, when you see all these e-wallets spending a lot of money in discounts and making sure that the, you know, the, the customers use their e-wallets, uh, we had the same issue, but just with a lot less people <laughs> uh, using, you know, uh, smartphones at that time uh, or, you know, smartphones using Android or iOS. And the second issue was we had a lot less money. So what we were looking, thinking is how can we grow, hack, and you know, get the, cost, the final customers on board. And this is where we started engaging with events because obviously in events you can you know, grab a lot amount of people in a short amount of time and make them do an action, whether it's download the app or whether it's something else. Uh, so in that case, at that time, what we're doing is we're setting up booths inside events 
and uh, we're trying to make people download our loyalty app and explain them on the spot how it would work right because loyalty doing getting a loyalty stamp is uh, or you know doing a, a transaction it's a very offline type of business so it does require a little bit of explanation for uh, somebody who has never done it before all right so that's where we started kind of engaging with events for two reasons because we wanted to really show the product and to uh, acquire customers right and um but at a certain point we realized that you know it was too expensive to be part of events because we had to pay for the booths and we were just grabbing a small percentage of the event goers so then we said okay how can we you know flip the model and instead of just getting a few percentage of the you know customer data how can we get all customer data and instead of paying the event organizers to be there how can we get paid and this is where we came up with wearable solution uh, that we were started to sell to event organizers where it would allow us to acquire all customer data on one hand and be paid on the other hand right so that's how it all started interesting so what you're saying is when you first moved into events it wasn't as <clears throat> how i, I know uh, pouch nation right now where everyone who comes to the event has the has the bracelet you're talking about you would pay you would go to an event, you would pay to be there and have your own booth there and then use that as your marketing to get people. Download the app. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that was kind of like your eureka moment that there was a much larger scale to this uh, for this technology in, in use case. Correct. Correct. So, you know, it all happened by chance where we you know we were doing something and then we realized, realized something completely different. Right. And that's where we, you know, we had a client uh, in 2014 who came to us and says, guys, I'm looking for a solution to, for my beer festival because I have a lot of, you know, staff stealing my cash. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that everything is digital. I capture the data. Nobody steals money. It's efficient. It's quick. Can you help me out? And this is where we developed our first MVP in a month. <laughs> and we said, oh, here it is. Uh, but at that time, our, still, our mindset was we're doing loyalty, right? We had no idea that we will end up doing events. Gotcha. Just, you know, innovation out of need. Correct. Correct. And so can you explain to everyone um, maybe the evolution, right? What, what did that first or how did that first uh, wearable work? And then kind of how, how it evolved to, let's just say the beginning of the year before COVID happened. Um, because I, from the sounds of it, the product and the technology behind it uh, changed a great deal. Yeah, so I mean, uh, what we were trying to do is we're trying, I mean, our, our vision was when we entered, started doing events is to digitize offline crowds, right? And in particular, digitize the uh, mass participation uh, event sector, which is still very traditional um, because, you know, people go to events, they, you know, it's a lot of amount of people, concerts, festivals, marathons, uh, you know, uh, sport events, and, um, you know, there's very little. Uh, digital uh, traces of them in terms of that you know you don't know how many actually people came to the event what did they do during the event what did they buy what they purchased uh, you know what was their behavior and so on right so our kind of uh, vision with this RFID band that we were giving to customers was uh, digitize event on one hand on the other hand of course you know make out of this uh, band uh, a digital ticket which would 
you know, allow you to enter different areas and that can be easily programmed on your van. So you don't need to have different ticket types or different uh, color wristbands on your hand. This can be all programmed on a chip. So, you know, it was acting as your ticket to the event, um, as your wallet to the event, because you were able to uh, load credits, um, you know, event credits and, and do purchases during the event. And uh, eventually it was also acting as your social media account. So you would be able to connect it to your social media account to uh, check in at the event uh, and do, uh, you know, social photography and other features. So that's pretty much the, the tech that we had. And then during the years we added on top, um, you know, um, kind of integrated vertically. So we added also a ticketing element to it. So the whole journey. Um, so when we were talking with the event organizer to just can use our platform from A to Z, right? So you, people could go buy a ticket, top up credits, uh, then get their band, uh, put their band on, get it shipped to your, for example, office location or home, put it on and uh, enter, you know, the event, make payments there, you know, interact, engage, exit. And that was all covered within the, uh, you know, within our platform. And you, you had mentioned RFID technology. Um, is that still, well, one, can you explain what that is to everyone? And then two, is that still the technology that, that powers your, your brace, bracelets or have you uh, evolved from there? Uh, no, well, no, we're still there. Uh, so RFID, um, basically we use what we call NFC, which is a subset of RFID, right? Uh, so the difference is RFID is a broader family of, uh, you know, it's a communication protocol at the end of the day, right? So it's a, it's a way a chip is, you know, communicating with an antenna and uh, there, there's different type of RFIDs whenever you are on a toll road. Uh, you know, you pass with the car, like, uh, and then, you know, it automatically does the payment. It's an RFID, but it's a bit longer distance. Uh, we use NFC, which is a, you know, shorter distance than what you use for tap and pay, right? Your your cards, buying cards, where you just, you know, tap and then the you know, transaction is done. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a very small uh, range, uh, but it kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, allows you to do that gesture of willing to, to do a payment. That's why it's used in payments a lot. Uh, so we still use that technology a lot in uh, in our variables uh, for for everything. Obviously, the technology has evolved. You have different capacity. Uh, you can store more data there. You can do more funky stuff. But uh, substantially, the technology is still the same. Gotcha. And then, what what information is the the event organizer getting? Right, because that seems to be a big. Uh, part of the value prop that they're getting for using your technology versus uh, someone else's uh, event bracelet. Yeah, so I, I think the the from an event organizer perspective, you know, you need to. I mean, your event data is obviously very important, right? You want to make sure that you understand, you know, how many people are, when do they enter, uh, you know, which areas of the event, you know, they spend more time, uh, what do they purchase. Uh, you know, um, what's their favorite products, how they engage with your sponsor booths, um, you know, uh, and all these type of things, right? So obviously if there's no uh, technology inside the event, this is all black box. Uh, event organizer would not even know often, you know, what people, uh, how much the, uh, the F&B merchants are, are, are making in revenue because they're not necessarily always part of the event organizer team. Um, so what uh, we are helping with our tech is to really provide event organizers like segmented, detailed, uh, data on all different, you know, customer types and ticket types that enter the events, right? So we can tell you, look, 
Uh, you should focus more on VIP guests because this is where 80% of your revenue is coming from. Right? And this sometimes for event organizers is a big like an eye opener, right? Because they don't know in detail where their revenue is coming from, <laughs> right? So especially, you know, with, with it's regarding F&B, right? So we do provide, and also efficiencies in, in staff management, right? If you know that majority of your people show up uh, at a certain time in, uh, uh, you know, the event then you make sure that you have enough staff there right uh, or how do you place your acts right so sometimes you realize that you need to put like a big headliner at the beginning around 7 p 7 p.m very early and someone and one at the end so people can stay during the whole duration and not just come for the last two hours right so there's a lot of like analytical kind of uh you know insights that the event organizer would, would get from using the tech hey there are you enjoying this episode so far if you are, I would appreciate it if you were to take a moment and give the pod a five-star rating on whatever podcast player you're currently listening to. If you're interested in getting these episodes directly into your inbox, you can head to sidedoor.fm and sign up for the newsletter. It's going to be on your right-hand side. All right, back to the interview. I've known you for about, what, almost five years. Uh, that's when I moved to Indo. Uh, yeah. We kind of just randomly met. Uh, and... I think since then, you know, I've seen you got, you expand uh, through different countries pretty quickly. Uh, and so I'm, for anyone who's listening, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Indonesian startups or a lot of startups in Southeast Asia, they will start in one country, but growth means uh, throughout the region uh, in different countries. So you're in eight countries right now or you were before COVID? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So, well, physical offices in six slash seven, yeah, but we do operate in uh, eight and even more. That's correct. So then can you kind of talk to me and walk me through the process of like, how you guys approached that, you know, inter-country growth and how did you decide which country was, was next? What did you do to get started in that country and like, how did you measure, understand that uh, you, you had hit that critical mass, you were, you know, you were becoming, you're growing viable uh, business in that market. And then did you do that in, you know, one country and then move to another? Or did you say, we're going to do it in these three countries and just jump into it? Like, you know, pretend I know nothing. What is that yeah. process like? Well, look, I think it depends a lot uh, in which industry you are, right? And I think, uh, you know, if, you know, our industry, events is a pretty global industry, right? So especially if you have artists and they go on tour, right? They do cover multiple uh, countries in multiple cities. Um, so it's a bit different than other sectors, right? So if you, you know, you know, they're doing like, I don't know, transportation or food delivery, right? This is a very localized type of service. Uh, ours is a very, how to say, um, you know, international type of service because also, you know, big events, there are not that many of them, right? So if, if you are focusing on the large scale, and this is what we were always focusing on, uh, you need to make sure that uh, you are, uh, you know, you, you're spread geographically, right? Because for you going deeper in the secondary cities in, in a country, it makes less sense because, the, you know, the market size is less big, right? So um, we always knew that we wanted to build the regional business because the sector required that and uh, we also knew on the other hand that um, when we started there were not that many companies uh, in the entertainment business 
uh, that we're approaching this sector from a technology standpoint of view and trying to unite the region, right? On one hand. On the other hand, we also saw that there were a lot of, uh, you know, travelers that were traveling from entertain for entertainment purpose, right? So, you know, people were traveling from Singapore to Thailand to go to a festival or from Singapore to Jakarta to go to, you know, uh, a concert or uh, things like that, right? So what we said, okay, there was, there will be a consolidation, uh, you know, sooner or later in the, in this space, also from a tech perspective, right? Like it happened in Europe or it happened in other countries where, you know, one player kind of dominates the whole area. Uh, so we wanted to be that player and uh, we obviously, you know, approached it step by step. So, you know, we are kind of, our rule was that we need to find our first couple of clients before we expand to a country um, and open an office. Uh, so we started, so Singapore obviously is where we incorporated first and then Indonesia, Philippines came quite natural because uh, my partners are also from, uh, one of my partners from Philippines. Uh, and then the other markets, uh, then came Thailand, because we always knew that Thailand was a big market from an entertainment standpoint of view. Uh, we did the first couple of events. We tried to analyze uh, whether it, it's, uh, you know, financially viable. Um, and in our case, you know, you do one project, it, it, we do generate a lot of revenue per project, right? So even a few projects a year already justify a small team uh, to be there. And then we also, uh, you know, understood that being in each country will give us that advantage uh, because we are on the ground, it's easier to talk to us, we can execute and events do require local execution. Um, so that was kind of our core, uh, I would say differentiator advantage. And, and we doubled down on that and after Thailand came Vietnam, then Malaysia, and then we had a small presence in uh, China mainland as well. Um, so it was uh, it was a conscious decision, uh, I would say quite calculated, mainly driven by uh, the industry and the sector we are in. So that, I mean, that, that was really interesting what you're saying, how <clears throat> it's very natural in the region for people to travel to different countries uh, for events and, and, and concerts so that, you know, for them to have this, the same kind of technology wherever they go makes a lot of sense. Um, you're talking, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're working with large scale events and that's always been your focus. Uh, so maybe kind of give us an, a perspective of what a large scale event means um, so that, you know, maybe we can visualize the types of, you know, events that you're, you're working with. Yeah. So look, I mean, we did, uh, for us, large scale means usually it, it's something, um, you know, around 10,000 people and above, right? So we've done events, you know, from 10,000 people up to 300,000 people. Um, uh, we've did everything from, uh, uh, you know, uh, festivals, uh, music festivals. We did a lot of them. Uh, you know, Zook Out in Singapore, one of our clients, uh, Sensation White. Uh, it's a big international brand in, in Thailand, it's one of our clients. Um, you know, we did, uh, you know, all sorts of festivals. Um, obviously, sport events as well. Uh, you know, we, we were supposed to, to be involved in Formula One Vietnam before it was canceled this year. It was a pity. Um, but we did work with, you know, uh, Petronas MotoGP team uh, and other, you know, high caliber kind of uh, uh, racing teams or events. So, again... Uh, when we, we like uh, big events because this is where technology can really solve a lot of problems, right? If you're running a, 
a small birthday party, you know, technology is not that essential. But if you're running something with 10,000 people and above, then it becomes crucial for you to be able to, to make, uh, you know, everything efficient, right? Because a delay per customer might mean you need to stay hours in a queue, right? So, so yeah, so for the audience, uh, you know, all the big stuff uh, that, you know, they could imagine we kind of were involved, especially in the region. And I'm assuming that payments uh, change from country to country, or how, how are you able to adapt uh, your technology for um, the different payment protocols from like a Vietnam to Jakarta to Singapore? Well, the good part is that we developed a payment solution, which was a closed loop payment solution, right? So we were not subject to regulation. All right, um, and uh, you know we, it's a whole proprietary closed-loop payment system. So uh, the only thing we we had to be able to accept the way you can top up your band, right? And that's why we made it quite flexible. That you know the way you get the money into the system is as many methods as possible, and then uh, you know you can also refund at the end. Um, so I, I don't you know the beauty of the system is that uh, you know it was the it, it, a closed-loop system doesn't need a lot of integrations. Uh, with uh, external uh, external factors or external systems, so in that case we're being pretty much flexible in uh, in going anywhere and still being able to operate without disruption. When COVID nineteen really started to affect the daily lives of millions of people, its impact was felt by many businesses. But it was especially difficult for any business related to events. All events had to be canceled, literally overnight. 100% of some companies' revenue disappeared. Pouch Nation was definitely one of those companies that felt the pinch. They saw big partnerships like with F1 be put on pause. The team had two choices, pout and hope they had enough cash in the bank to ride this out, or they could buckle up, invest some of their balance sheet into a new solution. They chose the latter and developed Pouch Pass, a wearable that monitors your temperature on a consistent basis. I think a theme in this conversation so far is that uh, your team, your company has been quite agile and innovative when it comes to solving different problems uh, at every turn. Uh, so I guess, you know, the, the big elephant in the room, we've been talking about your technology and offline events and COVID happened in, you know, roughly middle of March. Uh, and you've already mentioned, you know, one of the F1 events in, in Vietnam. Uh, shut down, right? So I'm, I imagine that, you know, overnight, all of your, uh, all, all, you know, all of your planned events kind of like disappeared, right? Revenue just dries up and is gone. Yeah. How did you, how did you look to, um, you know, how did you approach that? You know, you knew, you needed to innovate, you needed to survive. Uh, and, you know, you developed this pouch pass, right? So kind of, Walk me through uh, your mindset and what you did to get to that point where you you created this new product. Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, you're, you're right. Like, uh, you know, our business, you know, we're okay January, February. We're doing actually, January was our record month. And then, uh, you know, February was still okay. And then in March, uh, you know, the whole thing went down, right? And, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, at this point in time, you have two choices, right? You either... Uh, say okay, I'm gonna hibernate everything, and I wait until this whole thing recovers, right? And or I try to reinvent myself, 
right? So basically those were the two main decisions. Either you hibernate everything you can and you save cash, right? Or you try to uh, reutilize the resources you have to come up with something new. And um, so those were the two different approaches and I decided to follow the, well, not personally also only myself, but you know, the team, we decided to, to follow the approach of reinventing ourselves because we thought, look, uh, no cash will last the crisis because it might be here for a long while, right? And, and indeed, right, we're here in October and it's still, uh, you know, it's still not getting better. So we said, okay, what is our core competencies and how can we use our core competencies to reinvent ourselves, right? And to start generating again revenue. And we, you know, and then I started receiving a lot of calls from my clients or, you know, people that know me said, Ile, well, you are doing crowd control, right? I'm like, yeah, well, aren't you happy because you know now like the whole world needs crowd control right because everywhere you go there's crowd control right and this all things started to you know kind of uh, resonate and i started thinking about it and they said that's true you know you basically our core expertise in managing crowds is very very relevant now so and then we got went back to the drawing board said okay what are the factors that we need to add to our current tech to make it more, you know, uh, interesting for these specific challenges that we face nowadays, right? Which is more related to health. Uh, and uh, this is where we came up with a temperature sensor to include in, in our wearable uh, device, uh, as well as a Bluetooth functionality that would allow us to do contact tracing. So, so I think it, the whole thing was born out of two things. One is the uh, conviction that you know you cannot stand still and you cannot just wait over and and hope that uh, the crisis is going to pass by and the business is going to pick up because uh, you know waiting is never the right solution and you need to do something about it and the second one is that okay we do have core competencies so we might as well use them right so those two things I think were the major kind of uh, takeaways out of the whole thing and that helped us to create and reinvent ourselves and create this new product, which is called Pouch Pass. Wow. So that, you know, I, I didn't even make that connection of crowd control and contact tracing with, with the wearable technology, but that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, so tell me more about, you know, how long did it take you to kind of get Pouch Pass operational? Uh, I mean, you said, you know, a core technology was there, but you still had to, there was still some building and wearables as always, Wearables hardware is always a little bit tricky. Um, so what, yep. was that, what was that time frame to getting that from like uh, idea prototype to something that could be in the hands uh, of, of people? And then like, who is your, who is your customer now, now that um, you, you've pivoted to this uh, PouchPass product? Well, look, uh, I mean, obviously uh, we started, we threw all our, all the resources we had into this new product, right? Because, and we, at a certain point we had to make a choice that this is what we are going to do. Uh, you know, we know that events are not here, so let's just all redirect our efforts into this te technology, right? So we kind of threw all our company efforts into that. Uh, you know, the development team had to work over time and really, really pull this through. Uh, we, as I said, we had expertise in, in, in wearables before, so it was not a completely new thing for us. Uh, it did take us a few months, though, to come up with a product and then another few months to uh, perfect it and test it because, you know, measuring your core body temperature from your wrist is very different uh, 
um, you know, um, than just measuring it from your mouth or your armpit, right? Because you're far away from your, you know, main cardiovascular system. So, you know, your, your, your wrist is a lot colder than, you know, the rest of the body. So we had to, you know, uh, work a lot on uh, algorithms and machine learning and try to understand how we can adjust and calibrate uh, the temperature and make it precise. Uh, so we had, um, so it was an interesting process where we worked with, with testers in, in across the globe, I would say in different countries, in countries that had winter at that time, like Australia, New Zealand, and uh, countries where summer was very hot. Uh, so, so we had to adapt a lot and, and make sure that the product can work globally. So that was another two months of, uh, of really hardcore testing and perfecting the, what we call our secret sauce formula that uh, adapts that calibrates that temperature from the wrist to the core, right? And um, yeah, and then after, you know, uh, two months of testing, we, we were quite, uh, you know, certain that what we had was, was, was precise, it was working well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we had the whole other piece of really perfecting the software part uh, and making more uh, use cases, not only for individuals, right? Uh, which the product can be used for like families to monitor their kids, uh, to monitor the elderly, but also for businesses, right? And we developed a whole dashboard and a piece where companies can log in and they see, you know, their employees and their, uh, you know, temperature. Of course, we're following all the privacy uh, regulations and so on and so forth. But it does this. This tech does allow business to go back to operating and being able to follow health protocols and being able to detect, uh, you know, cases and make sure that there's no disruption in the business, right? So that second piece, uh, you know, we, we also took us a few, uh, you know, a few months to, to build, right? And we're constantly building, right? We're a company that never stops and we're improving and now we'll be launching our version two early next year of the band. And, you know, we're constantly developing our app. So it's a, it's a never ending process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you always have to iterate, um, <clears throat> but I, I'm just kind of astounded at how quickly you were able to, Turn that around, and yeah, when you're de describing uh, the secret sauce and, and calibrating from the temperature from the wrist, it, it sounds quite complicated. Um, so then, you you talk about families can use it, and companies can use it, right? Like, uh, but those are those are two kind of different use cases. Uh, is which is do you have like a core customer that you're you're looking at, or like how are you approaching? Um, this new new wave of, of growth for this new product? Look, um, I think, uh, well, we obviously know that there's a big need for this product now, right? And, uh, you know, and this is where, you know, sometimes investors challenge us, right? Say, oh, okay, this is great. You know, big need now. What's going to happen in a few years, right? So we always, you know, whenever we build something, we want to make sure that first is, you know, the product is as scalable as possible, right? And now it's already used in, you know, like 20 countries around the world. So it is definitely scalable. But second, you want to make sure that the product, uh, there is a lifetime to it, which goes beyond COVID, right? And uh, and here, what we, we see a, a very interesting uh, kind of evolution of it, which goes more in towards uh, B2B in some sense. We do see that, you know, health and safety for companies is something that is going to be there for a long time, uh, you know, in, in, in whatever form or factor, right? So, you know, whether it's, it's testing the temperature 
or whether it's making sure that your employees exercise regularly or whether you make sure that nobody is stressed out and you know or whether you make sure that people fill in their health declaration forms uh, when they travel and come back to the office so there's a lot of aspects to it and this is where we are you know obviously constantly learning uh, from our clients that use our product right so eventually what we want to make sure is that we have a solution for the masses that uh, you know can provide uh, health and safety benefits uh, to organizations uh, you know or communities right so this is basically where we see uh, ourselves differentiating a lot compared to other wearables which are purely focused on individuals right uh, so our hardware is fairly uh, fairly affordable so we can produce it in large quantities um, and as I said we have a good really you know good um, dashboard that you can use organizations where in the future we'll be able to add more than just you know screening and heat maps and, and and so on right but you'll have more of a communication with the members of your organization being able in real time to check whether they're you know they're 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 feeling healthy uh, and they're or they're stressed out or anything like that so what we are doing now is we're trying to drive a vision uh for you know the world that will also go beyond COVID, and for how organizations in the future will see health and safety of their members but I mean, that makes a lot of sense because I was wondering, uh, is this just kind of a temporary thing or is this uh, a longer term thing? But obviously it's, it's longer term and what you're describing with companies, uh, I've, I've had a friend who does, you know, health and wellness for companies and this would definitely work with them. And um, I had insurance in the US who they gave me like a really cheap, um, what do you call it, pedometer or like step counter. Yeah. And if I hit X amount of steps per month, then I would like get a discount on my insurance because in theory I was being healthier. Yeah. So, so like I could definitely see tie-ups with insurance companies as well as private companies uh, with this and, and then using that data to help, uh, you know, keep, keep the workforce healthy because uh, that would improve out output as well. Yeah, 100%. Look, I think uh, what we, we really believe that you know, after this whole pandemic, uh, you know, the world will look at, you know, uh, health and safety in a very different way, right? And uh, not only from organizational and government policy standpoint of view, but also from individual ones, all right? So if, you know, I know that, you know, nowadays, I know when there are, you know, 10,000 cases a day, I know that I need to be healthy. I need to go for a run every day. And if the virus, you know, does hit me, I need to be in a good shape right and and that i think will is there to stay for a while so if my organization supports that and and you know empowers me to do that then uh, you know i'll be you know very very you know i'll recognize that and you know i'll value that a lot right so and in variable space also we see that there is a you know major trend you know organizations uh, realize that you know they 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 need to care about their, their employees and employees will uh, we'll also recognize that on the other hand, right? So uh, we see a big inflow of wearables, not only in the purely strictly consumer space, but also on the on the B2B space, right? And this is where we want to be part of. It seems like this pouch pass has, you know, really big opportunity uh, moving forward, even after a COVID, you know, COVID world. Uh, but you still have the core technology and the core use case of your events business. You know, if you're tr to look into a crystal ball, do you see, do you see the events business um, bouncing back or, you know, like how, how do you see 
pouch nation kind of evolving over the next two, five years now that this whole COVID situation has occurred? Well, look, uh, we we definitely see the core business going back and we're seeing it from from now. I mean, we had an event yesterday in Thailand, (laughs) right? So, uh, you know, some countries are open for events, right? Thailand, Vietnam, uh, so the events are happening there. Uh, we, you know, we are now in talks with uh, four other events in Australia. You know, uh, just talked two weeks ago with Australian Open. Uh, so, I mean, definitely, you know, the world will have events. Uh, obviously, we think that we are more relevant now than before because, you know, people care about contactless. People care about digital a lot more, right? Because they're, you know, they're forced by the regulation and by the whole pandemic. So we think that we will reemerge even stronger in that point of view, right? Because, you know, event technology is going to be more and more relevant in the future, right? Uh, because you need to make sure you track who goes to your event. You need to make sure that everything is cashless and contactless because people don't want to touch cash. So I think, uh, you know, I'm pretty bullish, uh, you know, when exactly, I don't know, right? But I'm pretty bullish that this is going to happen uh, uh, eventually. That sounds correct, right? You know, I think I just saw an article in the New York Times that, China is like back back to normal as far as economics are concerned. Uh, so having events going back to the way they were uh, seems very logical. Um, but are you going to be able to, or will you kind of combine your two uh, bands and the technology into one, right? Because it seems like uh, the contactless um, payments, uh, and ticketing is still will have you know greater value uh, in the future, but this the whole contact tracing and temperature check, um, you know, in the event maybe that there is a breakout, uh, if event organizers have that information, it seems like it would be very useful. Um, will you eventually make that transition to like just one uh, one product for everything? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we already have that, right? So we have two, actually two versions. One is called Pouch Pass and one is called Pouch Pass Plus. So the Plus version uh, incorporates the RFID and uh, with it, it incorporates all our legacy system and managing events, right? So uh, 100%, right? Uh, So, you know, and in the future, you know, even more and more, these two pieces will be working, you know, seamlessly and integrated, right? So I think, as I said, there's nothing completely new in what we are doing here, we're just adding more, uh, you know, more elements to what we've been already doing before, right? And uh, substantially, we are still doing crowd control, <laughs> right? Or, you know, crowd screening. So, so to answer your question, 100%. Ilya, thank you so much for the time and coming on to the podcast. Uh, before you go, could you let everyone know where they can find you online and where they can connect with you about PouchPass? Yeah, so uh, guys, please come visit our pouchpass.com website. There's a lot of information there that you can see about the product. Uh, personally, you can find me in LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Ilya Kravtsov. Uh, you can try and Google me and it should come out. Uh, just feel free to reach out. Anything I can help, uh, more than willing to. I'm you know, very passionate about entrepreneurship and, and the community in general, Southeast Asia. So please do reach out. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Side Door Podcast. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star rating on your favorite podcast player. If you're in Indonesia and have someone you'd like me to interview, drop me an email at hi at jesse.vc. 
I've got a few more episodes lined up for season one before I take a quick holiday break towards the end of December, early January. I appreciate the continued support. As always, stay curious.